and welcome to another episode of Unlearn, Relearn podcast with Megan and Wilson. Hello, hello, friends. So, how are you? I'm doing great. Changing the lighting. Great. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. I'm good. This has been an interesting week, to say the least. Um, The topic that we are going to be getting into this week is... um, it's interesting. It's full of a lot of ups and downs, and it's basically our first mm. exhale with this new administration and just basically taking just in the check-in, yeah, touch what, in they, base. what they've been doing over the last what, two months, maybe almost mm. two full months, and um, going back to the transition and some of the moves they made then. Basically, to answer that question that a lot of people were saying, you know, people were like, well, we'll give him a chance to be president first. It's like, mm, I don't know if that's what you should do. Well, this is something that we've talked about before. We're not, we're not going to choose either side. We're not going to say, okay, this side's in and, and we're good now. It's consistently doing the work. It's doing the work as individuals doing the work you know, within our families, within our communities, but then also holding these officials accountable. And that does not stop for the Biden administration. Although we can't directly get to them, we still need to be putting the pressure so that each of this, you know, each of the measures and each of the, the issues that we want to be, we want addressed, we need to make sure that that actually happens. So consistently checking in, consistently doing the work, consistently seeing, you know, like checking the temperature, so to say, like, Mm -hmm. where are we at? What have they done? What have they not done? Because that just shows us what we need to be doing. We can't just sit back and expect them to do everything Mm -hmm. right and then be like, oh, no, they didn't do that. No, we need to sit back and see what they're doing. And when they don't get done the things that we've asked for we need to say okay now we need to to replan we need to take a step back we need to reorganize like how can we fix this they didn't pass this law or they didn't pass this measure or they didn't change this so how can we go back and get them to do it again or Mm -hmm. how can we based on the changes that they did make how can we you know pull it in a way that you know, is better. It's 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 going towards the you know uh, policy proposals, outcomes, right. uh, results right. that we're looking for. Right. And the thing about it is, is that no administration and no politician, and whether it be your city council, mayor, senator, governor, or president, or uh, you know, is going to do anything unless they feel the pressure. Now, a lot of times they feel the pressure from the other direction, from special interests, big money, right. and very wealthy people who tell them, hey, do X, that Y, and Z, is do what X, Y, and Z. Them. That is what guides them. We have to be that counter to that, right. saying, well, this is what we want you to do. Do it, do, do this, do this, do this, do this. And not only this is what we want you to do, but the holding you accountable is we're taking score. Like, like, like I said. see that you just did that, but we talked about this. Yes. We said we were doing this instead, guy. So <laughs> yeah. what's going on here? And taking score, taking measure of it and saying, okay, this is where they are. And then right. this is how we're going to move forward with in, in our relationship to them when it comes to the next time they're up for re-election. So all this Absolutely. is about 
creating those benchmark points, those check-in points, those progress report points, like you have when you're in school, you have a progress report, you have a report card. This is about checking those report card points and saying, hey, at this point, we expect you to do X, Y, and Z. You did, you did it or you didn't do it, and here's how we're gonna move forward with you when it comes to what we're gonna do next. So I think that something like this is definitely necessary. We have to continue to do this throughout um, not just the Biden administration, but your local mayor, your oh, city yeah. council, and your governor. You have to be doing these exact same things with them. Right. That's just, this is the reason why doing the work, this is the reason why following the correct, or not the correct, but following an array of different Instagrams and social media sites and news outlets it's helpful because you get information. Absolutely. Journalists, just, authors. Yes. Like it's really important to, uh, when we constantly say to you guys, like, do the research, do the research, it's because you shouldn't just be watching one news site. You shouldn't only get your information from Instagram. Like, that's just not, you're not going to get accurate information. And oftentimes it's going to be skewed. So you want to make sure that you're doing the research to get information on all sides. So you can make the best decision when it comes to a lot of these issues, right? So before we get to our main topic, because there's a lot to yeah. get into once we We're get to our main We're obviously ready to get into it. <laughs> we'll, we'll start off with our highlights of the week. Again, these are stories that we found throughout the week that may have got, gone on the radar. Some of them are stories that we maybe haven't talked about in a while. And we just want to kind of touch on these to, you know, bring these stories up and make sure they get the uh, life that they should have. I'm gonna go first. My highlight of the week is about the uptick in liver disease related to pandemic alcohol abuse. So this is, I believe, one of those very unreported stories mm -hmm. that we have talked, that we have seen over the last almost year now, ever since March and it's February. So we're coming up on almost a year since the, since the pandemic started. And I thought this was an interesting story. This story kind of went under the radar for me and I had to go back and read it and then I had to go do some research about it. And then I was like, you know what? This is definitely the type of story that deserves to be a highlight because I haven't heard anyone talking about this well, of particular course they wouldn't. Of course. story. <laughs> because um, in America, and especially when it comes to like marketing stuff, like we don't like to talk bad about alcohol and we don't like to admit that alcohol's bad. So if we like keep bringing up stories like this, then, oh my God, we'd have to take accountability and we don't want to do that. This, and we don't want to say that. Yeah, this right? story this story comes out of a, a, a news <laughs> website out of West Michigan. Interesting. It says hospitals yeah. see uptick in liver disease related to pandemic alcohol abuse. And basically what this story is saying is what a lot of people have seen, maybe possibly seen as in their daily lives or in their friends' lives since the pandemic started, people have been turning to all types of substances to cope with job loss, isolation. But um, also you even see it within the marketing, the way that it's being marketed. The, the way that things are marketed now that we're in quarantine and stuff. Mm. And the like... Even just like, for example, in Los Angeles, it's like we you don't have we don't have an area where you have to go alcohol. Right. But the pandemic pandemic comes around and now places you can have to go alcohol. Oh, yes. And so like 
you see a lot of these things and it's like encouraging it in many ways and I'm not demonizing that I'm not demonizing places like doing the to-go alcohol I'm not demonizing necessarily alcohol in this way but it's just like you see the way that it's advertised and how that changed you see even like memes and the and the things on Instagram like like oh day drinking because we're home you know like um uh all the like wine zoom parties and like you know that was like super big at the beginning (laughs) that was a big deal um and then you also and then you also have the darker side of that which is like people are at home and then you have a lot of whatever issues xyz issues that have already going on that were already happening and potentially are are getting worse because they're home or people are falling deeper into depression and that has a lot to do with it so it's really it is interesting that more stories like this are not not coming out but it also isn't really surprising it says uh um, Keck Hospital, which is here, is the USC hospital. Admissions for alcoholic liver disease were up 30% in 2020 compared with 2019. Rates of admission were up 50% since March. Makes sense. Um, they're seeing the, this, the Dr. Chung, which is a hepatologist out of uh, Harvard, says they're seeing an alarming trend towards increased liver disease, particularly in people under 40 years old. But what we're seeing now is truly dramatic. We're seeing a lot more liver disease and a lot more liver disease from alcohol. Now, what this article is also talking about is that you have the liver disease part has is coming out of the fact that there are more people or there are people who have had prior alcoholic problems. And the pandemic was a reason that their alcoholism was not a reason, but it could be a contributing factor why the alcoholism got worse. Um, One of the things that I did want to point out in this article that really stuck out to me is it says that um, many of the physical manifestations of alcohol abuse do not show up overnight. Obviously, we all know this. It often takes years of problem drinking to cause liver damage, Mm -hmm. though in some cases it can happen within a matter of months. Alcohol abuse can also lead to heart disease, Mm -hmm. different types of cancers. This part is the most important part. And a weakened immune system, Mm -hmm. which experts say could make it more difficult to fight COVID-19. Absolutely. So if you think about... I just had... I had... um, uh... Uh, I guess you could say a friend from college passed from exactly from, that. Wait, from college? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're in your early 30s. I know. That's wild. That's mm-hmm. wild. Yeah. And that person had a history of alcohol abuse. They passed from from alcohol abuse, yeah. Oh, they didn't pass from COVID. From, they oh, passed from they passed from straight abuse, alcohol and then, abuse. And they had issues w- when in the hospital, yeah. And it's like, that stuff is no joke, you know? And it's like, something like that, it got worse with with, COVID. with this person because of the pandemic. Their drinking went up a lot more. I mean, it was already an issue before, and then it went up because of the pandemic. And then, yeah. Yeah. And it's... it's uh, yeah, and then you have COVID on top of this. Yeah. That doesn't. So I can imagine. I can't imagine how many people 
didn't make it because maybe they had a weakened immune system, totally. a weakened liver, and a, an overall weakened immune system, then they got COVID, and then... A pre-existing condition that you don't think about, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about this story is because even though this is this is the type of story that we would talk about maybe years from now, they would do a study on this and it would come out and people would go, oh, there was this huge uptick in alcoholic abuse, alcohol alcohol related issues that happened because of COVID. It's interesting that they started tracking it so soon and they're noticing that because of the pandemic and then it's making the alcohol usage go up. And then that is negatively impacting people's health. So that if they are unfortunate enough to then catch COVID, it makes things even worse. Right. So I think that this is a story we definitely need to keep our eyes on. And basically, you know, if you're in your, your everyday life and you're monitoring your alcohol use or you're seeing that your friends are maybe doing a little bit more drinking than normal, you can say, hey, you know what? Let's have a conversation about it. Let's talk about it. Maybe reach out to people, maybe try to notice the signs of problem drinking and just sort of keep people within your sights when it comes to like checking in on them. Absolutely. But you just never know what people are going through at any given time. People have gone from being completely depressed to completely happy to back to being depressed to thinking things are going to be okay to back to being, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's like a roller coaster ride for so many people and you never know where on that ride people are at any given moment. So um, just be cautious of that and aware and definitely, you know, we'll keep our eyes on this story as it moves forward. So Megan, what is your highlight of the week? So I wanted to, and I don't want to super get into this, but I just wanted to quickly talk about the fact that Trump was acquitted in this second impeachment trial. Um, it was a it was a fifty seven to to forty three. So the final vote fifty seven to forty three, short of the sixty seven guilty votes needed to convict. So it's just ten votes short. Um, this was obviously extremely disappointing, but again, not surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, especially not surprising that McConnell tried to say, you know, that it was unconstitutional to do it after he was out of office when he's the reason it wasn't done while he was in, in office. office. But, yeah. you know. It was, what, a five-day trial? It was like a five-day trial. Yeah. Four or five-day trial. So they could have done that before he... Totally. Before he left Just like they easily and very quickly got Amy Coney Barrett into... A lifetime um, appointment on the Supreme Court. Right. In like a week or so. Exactly. So they just as easily could have done that. Um, This is just... you know, we will continue. People, I think a lot of people, I guess the reason I wanted to bring it up and uh, the reason I wanted to, I made it the highlight is because I think a lot of people are like, okay, Trump's out of office. We don't have to worry about him. He's not someone to think about. And I just strongly feel like that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like although we shouldn't be focused on him, Mm-hmm. We can't just totally ignore him and put him out of our sights because we, you know, all those people that are saying that are going to be really surprised when he comes around in 2024. Yeah, because um. <laughs> because of the because of the acquittal, he can 
now run, run again for office again in 2024. Right. So and also, you know, he already has ties in all these different places, being that he was the president. And if we think that he's not using those ties now to benefit himself, if we think that he's not going to use those ties to benefit himself for the next three, four years, and if we think that he's not going to potentially run again, think again. Yeah. Just, yeah. So, you know, a lot of people were like, why is this important? Why do we need to do this? This is why. This is why. This is why. And unfortunately, we came up short. So we will have to face the consequences of that. And it's going to be eventually. Right. Yeah. And it's going to be soon because with this acquittal, I think that him and him and his supporters feel like now they have the win back in at their backs and they are going to move forward. He's going to raise a lot of money off of this. Mm -hmm. And he's most likely going to be a kingmaker within the Republican Party. Right. He's going to force more um, Marjorie Taylor Greene type mm -hmm. politicians in, onto ballots and then potentially into positions of government, not just in right. the federal level, but on the state level. Right. And um, this isn't going away. Mm -mm. This isn't going away. going away. This is this. I didn't. I didn't think it was. It had they, had they uh, convicted him. I still don't think it was going away. But now we know it's not going away. Right. Now we know it's something we have to keep our eyes on, and it is. That's just how it is. You know, Trump is an anomaly, and he is. You know, difficult to say this, but. Very charismatic, very powerful leader. A lot of people believe in him and a lot of people are following him. And within the Republican demographic, the Republican Party, re re Republican electorate, he still maintains a high popularity and a lot of power. Mm -hmm. So he'll be shaping Republican politics, mood, culture, and politicians for a, sh a while to come and, and, yeah. and 100% leading up between now and the and the midterms right so this is the reason why in case you didn't realize it this was a great this is a great segue into our main topic because now it is incumbent upon all of us who actually care right. and actually give a shit to push the biden administration to make the best policy decisions right. and pass the most expansive bold pieces of legislation that they can right. so that Democrats, liberals and left and left-leaning politicians have something to run on next year to help them maintain the the positions that they have because if they don't Republican waves usually happen after a Democratic president the two, next two years is a Republican wave it's going to it's going it could be really bad so yeah. Moving into our main topic, our main topic is um, it is about the expectations of the, the current administration and what it is that we we hoped that they would do, what what organizations have been pushing them to do, and then what it is that they've actually been doing. Mm -hmm. And um, so some of the issues that they are that people have been kind of pushing them. So you have multiple organizations. You have 
Sunrise Movement. That's a climate change activist. You have Black Lives Matter. You have Young People Progressive Organizations. You have the, um, I said climate, you have criminal justice reform organizations. You have all these organizations who said, hey, we went out and did the groundwork to register people to vote, push people to the polls and get them to vote. And now that we've gotten them to vote and you're in office, these are now our policy goals that we want you to attack. And I think we might have covered this at a different point, but a lot of the things, a lot of the people that Biden put in positions are not some of the people that we feel like are going to be best to help execute these policy goals. So I just wanted to start this conversation off by saying that biggest electorate demographic, electoral demographic that voted for Biden was black people, African-Americans, black women voted for him at 93 percent. Black men voted for him at 89%. No other demographic voted at a higher rate. So if it comes to just the demographics that worked to get him in office, those are the two demos that worked to get him in office at the highest rate. So another, one, another thing that I wanted to talk about was the black issues are not crim just criminal justice reform. A lot of times when Biden and his people talk about, oh, well, they say, well, what are you going to do for African-Americans? Oh, criminal justice reform. And then they just move on. It's like, no, 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 That is a racist trope that says mm -hmm. that the only thing that black people are is first off criminals. And the only thing that we care about is criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. Criminal justice reform is one pillar within a whole list of things that these organizations are asking for, from mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter to grassroots law to all other different organizations that are run by like Sean King or or Van Jones or any other organizations that are out there, criminal justice reform is just one plank. It's just one bullet point. Absolutely. There's so many other things that African Americans and other minorities within our society, I don't like to use the term minority, just underdeserved, underserved and underrepresented and marginalized communities need, other than just don't put us in jail for 10 or 15 years for a petty crime. Right. Like, we need way more than that. Right. We, economics is at the center of any policy prescription that is that you need for um, for African Americans. So, yeah, and that's really like that's at the that's something that we need to keep in mind when we're moving through all of these policies. Right? Is like that is definitely the main language that we see far too often and also um, that is consistently uh, continued, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of actually getting to the core issue <laughs> and mm -hmm. changing all of the policies, which like Wilson said, it's not just criminal justice. It's all of the policies that we need to change. Um, but we only, but they only focus on that. And so, that's an issue. That's an issue. It says, um, this is an it's article like out of the... It's like the core of it all. Um, it says that it's, uh, this is an article from the Washington Post. It says, um, I don't think it will be up, I don't think it will come down to Biden coming up with these answers. It's going to take his courage to bring the right people to the discussion table because you cannot expect people who have been moderate or establishment their entire careers to suddenly start implementing the Black Lives Matter movement ideas overnight. Totally. And I think that is the truth 
of what his election was all about. If you go back to the primary, we all knew <laughs> who he was, what he was going to do. Primarily, we knew. More importantly, we knew what he was not going to do. What was his policy goals? What were the things that he was talking about? And what were the things that he was against? And a lot of the things we wanted him to do were the things that he was totally yes. against. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, and also what they talk about is that, and this is one of my main points, is that starting local, is the most important thing you can do in this moment. Instead of the Biden administration made their bed, but on local levels, like what the Black Lives Matter activists are doing in Louisville when it came to Breonna Taylor, what they're doing in Minneapolis, Minnesota, when it comes to issues with George Floyd, what they were doing, what they're doing here in Los Angeles, BLM movement here to get rid of Jackie Lacey, what they're doing up in Oregon with, with uh, decriminalizing drugs. I think these pilot programs that they're doing down in Austin, Texas. Right. Like these are the um, the local impact. That's how we actually start to make change. Exactly. And those are the True things that we is. can do on a local level right. that create the grassroots movement totally. that then forces people to do things on a federal level, like what they're doing in, what they did in, Georgia after the election, the massive um, voter registration drive and just massively all the money that was spent to get more people registered to vote, push all those people to the polls and flip on January 5th, the day before January 6th, <laughs> to flip uh, Georgia. Right. So these are the local things we can do um, that I think are just as important and in some respects can even be more important Absolutely. than meeting with Biden's team who a lot of times they meet with people and this was one of the fears that a lot of organizers had totally. was that his team would meet with you just to say that they met with you right. just for the it's just PR which is a lot of what Trump was doing when he just first PR. got elected. it's just for PR it's yeah. just for looks it's just to make it seem like they're doing the right thing but really they're they've already decided they probably already have the moves going mm -hmm. about what it is they actually are the going to do right yeah so like we said i think and i know we said this a while back we're not suffering fools over joe biden like we know who he is right and we know what he's not we were not do. We weren't necessarily celebrating. <laughs> we weren't really yeah. excited. We just over here. knew who needed to go. Right. Who needed to get gone. Right. And it didn't mean that all oh, happy days are here again. And I, I like mm -hmm. I, I love the parallel that people make. And I think people are learning a lesson mm -hmm. from when Obama was president. Because you know, getting out of George, getting away from George W. Bush, people were like, "Oh my God, I can't believe I just want to get away from him." But People fell in love with Obama and and projected all their hopes and dreams and 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 everything onto him. And when he didn't deliver, it was almost like a lot of people were stuck because they were defending him so hard, so harshly, and you couldn't say anything negative about him till when there were things that he was doing that should rightly be criticized. Right. There was then a huge 
force or movement mobilized right. to challenge, to say, hey, no, we don't want you to do that. We don't want you to do those things. We don't want, we don't like your foreign policy. We don't like you building the cages. Right. They say Trump put kids in cages. Who built Obama them? built them. Right. Like they weren't, they didn't just show up. Right. And Trump, I mean, Obama put kids in cages. He just put kids in cages with their families. Trump was the one who came out and separated the kids. Right. Which is a whole nother problem. It's a whole nother evil. But... Evil in and of itself. But we have right. to be, if we're gonna have the politics. Going back to our last episode, if y'all didn't already hear it or listen to it, go back and listen yeah. to that episode. And that explains why what Wilson is saying right now. Yeah. Is we... that we need to stop putting these uh, politicians, whether we agree or disagree with them, on pedestals and actually stick to the issues and stick to what's right and call these people out when they need to be called out, regardless of if we love them or not. And you should be calling them out, especially if you love them. Right. Because who do you check harder? The person you don't like or your family or friends? You should be checking your family and friends harder. Right. Than you should a be stranger checking, on the street. Then right. a stranger on the street. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I saw was, you know, Biden won his election because of black people specifically and young people young more people, overall. For sure. So if you if you then go down to the next uh, demo that voted for him in large numbers, it was young people. And I think young people voted for him somewhere between 60 and 70 percent mm. was always young people. And this is young people across all races and, right. and, and demos. Um, and so then young people, meaning I think uh, the census de defines young people as anyone under 40. That's a lot of people. Sometimes it defines it as 18 to like 31 or 32. Mm -hmm. I, I'll go with the 18 to 31. Mm -hmm. So these are people who literally just got out of college and right. are trying to make their way <laughs> in the world. Yeah, going into with college. This, are going into college right. and they're trying to make this way their way in this world and they have some issues that have been have been created some problems that were created by the previous generations and their apathy towards politics one of those big problems is the student loan problem our student loan problem is somewhere around a few trillion dollars worth of debt that all students in this country um, owe and so one of the provisions that, that these uh, activists, young prog progressives were trying to get put into this new bill, this bill that is, is, is in reconciliation right now was a student loan forgiveness, which would, which would have um, forgiven about uh, $50,000 of all individual student loan debt, which would have um, alleviated the debts of 36 million young people. Now, that's a powerful thing to do. Most, a lot of, there would be a lot more people that owed more than. I was going to say, I, there's a lot of people, a lot of colleges, if you're going to like a state college, that's probably only like half your debt. I mean, that's, that's still pretty great. Nobody's going to be like, no, don't take care of $50,000 of my debt. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's still, you know, they still have like $50,000 left in debt. portion of debt. But. Right. But it unleashes 36, it could unleash 36 Absolutely. million no, people. No, I'm for it. I'm 100% But I'm just saying, it. how crazy is it 
that that's how much debt people accrue for school. That's wild. That's the reason why I just said yeah. problems that were created by past generations that didn't yeah. weren't attentive to politics because wasn't. And this the, is only this is only something that they've brought up. This isn't passed. They oh, haven't no, no, passed no. this. This is a policy goal right that they okay. want to see the administration do yeah and i think it was proposed in an amendment uh -huh. i don't know if it was 100 percent accepted into the bill yet i hope we we're still waiting we'll wait we'll push to see if it is accepted into the bill yeah. um but that would free 36 million people up from wow. having any debt whatsoever which would unleash another probably expansion of the middle class because those people can now buy cars, buy homes totally. and, and actually participate in the economy in a way that they maybe couldn't have because student loan debt means you're tied to this job. You have a crazy credit score. I was going to say your credit score sucks. Yeah. And you, there's things you can't do when you owe that kind of And when of you money. don't have good credit, you can't, you're very limited. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're limited on signing leases, buying right. homes, buying all cars, all those things. So it would be advantageous to the wealthy if they did that too, because <laughs> they could then sell stuff to these people, you know? Um, another one of the things is, and I know we're gonna get to this a little bit later, but, and then, the, because this is, a lot of these things kind of tie into each other. So addressing climate change, mm -hmm. a better stimulus package. One of the big things is the cabinet picks. And we've noticed that a lot of Biden's cabinet picks are not people who, like they want, some people wanted Bernie Sanders to be in the cabinet. He's not. They wanted Elizabeth Warren to be the treasury secretary. She's not. Right. Um, the lady who's the treasury secretary is a woman named Janet Yellen who took $800,000 from, uh, what is it? Uh, oh my God, that capital, I can't think, not Melvin Capital, but the company that owns Melvin Capital, which were the people who were involved in the whole GameStop issue. So that was a bad pick. Um, one of the most controversial picks recently that he's putting up is a woman by the name of Nira Tandon. If you don't know who Nira Tandon is, you need to look her up and become very familiar with her. If Hillary Clinton had become the president, Nira Tandon was going to be Hillary Clinton's chief of staff. That's how powerful Nira Tandon is. <laughs> she runs an organization called the Center for American Proge Progress, which is a think tank which spent all of 2015 and all of 2016 doing one thing, going against every progressive policy that Bernie Sanders was for. She was against, she's against the minimum wage increase. She's against ending the wars. I've been in the same room with this woman. She is against, she's against Medicare for all. She's against raising the minimum wage. <laughs> she's against all of these things. And um, she's no friend to the movement, yet she's the person that Biden puts up to be uh, uh, director of the man of director of the budget, um, OMB, Office of Management and Budget. Mm -hmm. So her job is basically to work on the budget, how the money that the that the administration, the bills that the administration is proposing, the money that's being spent how that money is being spent. Right. Her organization has taken money from everybody from Walmart, which is against raising the $15 minimum wage. Pharmaceutical companies, which are against making prescription drugs cheaper. 
The me, the me, I mean, just the hospitals, which yes. are against Medicare for all. And this is the person that Biden puts up. Right. So that's not a win. That's a loss. Because she is not going to do anything that helps young people. Right. And she, in my opinion, when I think she's under 40, she's a young person herself. So that's a loss. We just have to call it. Now, Biden put some executive orders in place. I think you were, did some research on some of the executive orders yeah. that he put, that he's put in. Yeah, we have a whole list. So he's done like 42 different executive actions. I mean, we can go through it just based on um, like topics. So like healthcare, we have the executive order on strengthening Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act. So that re reopens um, enrollment for the healthcare.gov. I think it goes through May 15th now. Um, moving to environment, the executive order on tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. So it seeks to cement the, or cement the climate crisis at the center of US foreign policy and national security. And most notably, it directs the Secretary of the Interior to pause on entering into new oil and natural gas leases on public lands and or offshore waters. Um, an executive order on establish, establishing President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology. Um, the Paris Climate Agreement. Oh, so, re-entering that. Yeah, yeah, we rejoined. Um, Which, by the way... Let's just be honest about the Paris Climate Accords. Weak, non-binding, no penalties if you don't if you don't abide by it. Symbolic, but yet it's supposed to move countries that abide by it in a way, in a direction in which they're producing less greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere. That's what the goal is. But again, it's non-binding. Non There's no penalties if you don't do anything. It's just, you know, a symbolic agreement. Still right. a good thing to be a part of. A lot of organizations, climate change organizations, are saying we need bolder action than just For sure. symbolic right. you know, grandstanding. But or continue. we'll change this in 20 years. Yeah, that's normally action. the way that they talk about a lot of things. Is, yeah, we'll right. get to that. We'll get around to that one. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll totally do that for we'll you guys yeah, in sure. 20 years. For sure, yeah, for sure. So in the next few years, you can just cancel it. Mm -hmm. um, they did, uh, and as we know, the they canceled the, the Keystone XL pipeline. Uh, so that's awesome. Okay, so moving on to equity, uh, executive order on advancing racial equity and support for the underserved communities through the federal government. So it rescinded the Trump administration's 1776 commission and directs agencies to review their actions to ensure racial equity. Yeah, that was, I, don't, I don't even understand why Trump did that. It was so nonsensical. He had to know that one of the first things Biden was going to do was Definitely get rid of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, they did an executive order on preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation. Um, they had a, an executive order on reforming 
our incarceration system to eliminate the use of privately operated criminal detention facilities. Um, and they had one on enabling all qualified Americans to serve their country in uniform. Um, so it reversed the Trump administration's ban on transgender Americans oh, joining okay. the military. All right. Um, moving on to the economy. Wait a minute. Stop right there. Yeah. I have inside information on that. My brother, my brother's in the Navy. He's a pretty big position in the Navy. Um, they didn't stop doing that. Just because Trump said that, they didn't stop doing that. They still have policies within certain branches of the government where they still adhere to, you know, if you are, if you, if that is your thing, if that's your goal, if that, you know, um, you're pursuing uh, gender identity mm -hmm. issues, they still uh, uphold those standards and have a way, a process for people totally. if that's what they want to do. So. I know but that, this, either way, is just going to stop it from from, from trickling happening. down all the yeah. way into into certain commands. But yeah, as far as I know, they still do um, have a process by which if someone is seeking to have a and absolutely right, each branch of the military is going to handle it differently. And regardless, yeah, some of them are slow walk it. Some of them are gonna, you know implement it super slow <laughs> because sure. they're just waiting for them they can stall out it's 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 you know it's an advice and sometimes it's a it's an order mm -hmm. but it's also in the implementation so if they don't like the policy they can just slow down the implementation of that policy right. and wait you out as an as an administration until a new one comes in which it seems like that's what they did some of the branches at least yeah Moving to the economy. So the executive order on ensuring the future is made in all of America by all of America's workers. So this strengthens by American rules by closing loopholes and reducing waivers granted on federal purchases of domestic goods. They had an executive order on protecting the federal workforce. This restores the collective bargaining power and worker protections for federal workers and lays the foundation for the $15 minimum wage. In, which, in, to all federal, federal workers. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the executive order on economic relief related to COVID-19 calls for assistance to those who are struggling to buy food, missed out on the stimulus checks, or are unemployed. Um, pausing federal student loan payments which is extended until September, I believe September 30th. Oh, that's um, great. Extended eviction and foreclosures, that's extended through end of March. And then they had a few executive orders regarding COVID-19 specifically. Um, an order on sustainable public health supply chain that accelerates the manufacturing and delivery of supplies for vaccination, testing, and personal protective equipment. Um, an executive order on establishing COVID pandemic testing board and ensuring a sustainable public health workforce for COVID-19. Um, an executive or order on improving and expanding access to care and treatments for COVID-19. 
which establishes a preclinical program to boost development of therapeutics in response. So that's pretty cool. Uh, executive order on ensuring a data-driven response to COVID-19 and future high-consequence public health threats. So that's probably like bringing back that um, that office that Obama had, helping to bring back the data and the science that Obama had before. When Trump got in office, he got rid of the uh, infectious disease control mm-hmm. panel or team. Yeah. And so yeah. The co- yeah the pro- collection, production, analysis the, of the data. Uh, they created more vaccination sites. An, ex, uh, an executive order on supporting the reopening and continuing operation of schools and early childhood education providers. So um, pro- this provided guidance for safely reopening and operating schools, which we're seeing how that goes. So. Yeah, we're going to see how that goes. <laughs> we're seeing how that goes. So. <laughs> I um, mean, obviously, yeah. each state is different as yeah, well. Yeah, each state is different. And like I said, you know, the states that don't want to go along with it, they could just slow walk it. Some right. states are going to be like, hey, we'll take the lead and try to open our schools really quickly. I have no opinion on that because I'm going to say straight out that's left up to a school, a principal, a school district. And how, I, mean, I have lots of opinions on how it, they but... feel that school, if they, if they want to reopen, if they're going to reopen, how they're going to reopen. The mechanisms, the policies, the te- if there's going to be. I'm just going to say this because I'm. We don't even have to get into it because <laughs> I could have a whole podcast episode just on that. But like, if we're going to be reopening the schools, we should maybe think about prioritizing our teachers. Just putting that out there. Oh, you mean as far as like testing, giving them vaccinations, testing, like all of that. Maybe like protective gear to keep them safe because I don't know they're some of the least paid people but yeah we're we're like literally putting it on them to take care and provide for our children and also make sure that everyone's safe but yet all of these kids are coming into that like it just it's crazy but this is a process (laughs) we're all figuring out you know it really is um executive order on protecting worker health and safety executive order on promoting COVID 19 safety and domestic and international travel so like things like requiring masks in the airports and all that yeah um executive order on ensuring an equitable pandemic response and recovery um an executive order on protecting the federal workforce and requiring mask wearing and an order on organizing and mobilizing the United States government to provide a unified and effective response to combat COVID-19 and provide United States leadership on global health and security. Yeah, so there's a lot of executive orders. Like I said- there's so many more. There's There's (laughs) immigration, census, ethics. Yeah, there's- (laughs) I think the one thing that Biden decided to do was to try to gain grab the headlines with a lot of these executive orders. Totally. Because they I, all sound very nice. And the thing about executive orders is they're, they're a lot of times they're advisements, they're recommendations. Some of them are straight orders to certain, if it's, if the 
If the organization is within the executive branch, it could be a straight order to that organization. Say, hey, well, do X, Y, and Z. It's also like unless some, something really, really crazy and very big happens, you're not necessarily going to go back and say, okay, well, this was the executive order. There's always the loopholes in between. Like you said, are they, they, they're following the rule, but they're going to take 17 years to follow the mm -hmm. rule instead of one. Mm -hmm. Or they're following the rule and they're going to they're gonna keep turning left instead of turning right. Just to like take it, like take all the longest route to get there, or it's, they're gonna do like they're gonna cut stuff out, or they're gonna leave stuff out, and it's and you know there's there's all these loopholes. It, it definitely leaves it open for the loopholes. It leaves it open for um, interpretation. Yep. Um, and so that's why it's important not to just look at these and be like, that's great. Because executive, the thing about executive orders is, like I, like you said, they're recommendations. They can be slow walk. They can be, they can be, you know, pause. They can, it can be slowed down. The works can be gummed up. But an executive order is only something that you do because you don't think you can get a piece of legislation passed. A law says you will right. do X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C, what we tell you to do. And that's much harder because of the way the Senate is constructed right now with 50-50. You got to get 60 votes to get anything passed. And then we have a lot of Democrats who aren't actually for a lot of the things that we want. You know, Joe Manchin, I think they, they uh, he's a senator from West Virginia, came out on Fox News and said he was against $15 minimum wage. He's a Democrat. And so then he went back to his constituents and they were like, dude, what the hell are you doing? And then he came, oh, no, no, actually I am for $15 minimum wage. It was like, you actually were not and we all knew you weren't and we all knew you were going to be the biggest impediment to anything actually ever happening in the Senate. But you showed your hand, you showed your cards too early and you put yourself out there and saying, well, I'm against the $15 minimum wage. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? This is not the moment for that. Right. Everybody else has come out and said that they're forward, and now you're a Democrat saying you're against it. You look foolish. And so he had to come out and be like, no, no, actually I am forward, but I just think that dude, we need to phase it in. So $15 minimum wage, make it into the bill. People are saying if they do it, they're going to phase it in, like a lot of states are doing. That's another one of the, um, yeah. the things that people were talking about. Um, 29 states, including Washington, Washington D.C., has set their minimum wages higher than the federal level, which is seven dollars and twenty-five cents. Totally. Like Bernie Sanders says, that's starvation wages. Twenty-eight have changed their minimum wage law since 2014. Totally. So some states have it at ten. Some states are some counties are going to fifteen. Like in California, it's mm -hmm. not seven twenty-five. No, I think it's been ten. I think it's like ten or eleven. Yeah, and yeah. it's going to fifteen, but it's phased in right. over a number of years, which is. The states that are trying to get this done on their own are doing it in a phased-in manner, meaning it'll take till like 2027 for it to actually be $15 an hour. They'll start off at like 12 Well, it's like if they pass it, they'll give it a 10-year well, whatever. Well, Bernie, Bernie Sanders had said that if he, if he had his way and passed $15, it wouldn't go $15 immediately. Mm. It would phase in. The thing about it, though, phasing in is that inflation rates are such that $15 won't be $15 in six or seven years. Right. It'll be more like eight or nine when you consider inflation and how the hidden tax on the poor and the wealthy uh, poor works with inflation. So um, 
it's a mixed bag. It's like we're we're looking at it and we're saying we want you to do this, and then they're head faking. Some are head faking. Some people are earnest about it, but it's just the thing we have to keep our eyes on because it's not black and white. It's not cut and dry. It is a process, and it is frustrating at times. This is the way being an informed citizen worked works. If you're an actual informed citizen, it works like this. <laughs> you're supposed to be frustrated. <laughs> with the process and how it works. And uh, before we leave out on this topic, I want to talk about two other things that I thought were positive things. We said a lot of ups and downs and negatives. Like I said, everything that the Biden administration doing is a mixed bag. It's a roller coaster. We're up, we're down. One of the things that I thought that is a good thing is that and at least symbolically and in some way, Biden has announced that the U.S. is cutting off all aid to the Saudi Arabian-led war. Not a war. It's actually a genocide in Yemen. Mm. And it's an attempt to end this war. Now, this whole thing, this whole Yemen-Saudi mm. Arabia thing is a topic for an entire podcast. Because you're talking about Saudi Arabia being enemies with Iran. Us, the United States arming and propping up Saudi Arabia as a defense, a bulwark against Iran. Iran trying to undermine Saudi Arabia by using forces within Yemen to do it, because Yemen and Saudi Arabia are right next door to each other. And then Saudi Arabia using American weapons, tanks, bullets, guns, missiles to blow up hospitals, school buses, uh, 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 schools with children in them, uh, cutting off drinking water, Kids are starving to death. Women and children are being are being just starved to death. Typhus is out of control. Pre very preventable diseases are running rampant in this country and people are dying at a rate that is unimaginable. And Yemen is one of the poorest countries on the planet now. And so for the for most of the Obama administration and for the entire Trump administration, Trump didn't even acknowledge that this war was happening. He didn't even acknowledge that this was going on. And at least at a minimum, Biden is acknowledging that this is a humanitarian disaster. Right. It's a genocide. And at a minimum to the degree that we can bring these two parties to the negotiating table, cutting off USA to, to Saudi Arabia at least tells them, hey, you guys got to stop so that we can let peacekeepers and humanitarian people go into the country and start to assess the damage, save people's lives, and help the country to, to come back because it's a failed state at this point. They've bombed that country in almost That's out of existence. Ridiculous. And hundreds of kids die a day in Yemen from preventable things like poison, bad drinking water, and starvation. Right. And so... To the extent that Biden can use power of the purse of sending money to stop this war, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about was the repeal of the Trump tax cuts. Now, in, 2000, in 2020, in the CARES Act, which was one of the biggest upward transfers of wealth in the history of humankind, that first coronavirus relief bill was nothing more than a huge giveaway to rich people. There was, yeah. tucked into that, was a 
one tax cut, one little tax cut that only benefited 43,000 people. And it would benefit 43,000 people that make over $1 million a year. If repealed, this one tax cut would save 25, I'm sorry, $250 billion and it could have been rediverted. It could be rediverted to help in what's going on now. Right. Um, Biden has signaled idea. that he has no intention of repealing those tax cuts, either the ones in the CARES Act or the 2017 tax cuts that Trump passed when he first became president. Biden has signaled he does not plan to repeal those tax cuts. Ridiculous. So one good thing, one thing that infuriates you and pisses you off. Right. This is the nature of the first couple of months right. of the Biden administration. And um, I put that, you know, it's a mixed bag right out of the gate. They're doing many things that could lead to them getting wiped out next fall. A few good things that signal they could be listening to the people. We'll see. Um, yeah. It's it, we can't. I, I mean, if I had to grade this administration so far, I'd give it a C minus. That would be my grade so far. Um, we'll see how far they go. We'll see what they do. We'll yeah. see what this this uh, American Rescue Plan, which is the bill that's going through now. We'll see what's in the final bill. We'll see how it actually impacts people, and. We'll be having this conversation again in a few months to see what it is they're doing. What other bills are they passing? Do they try to pass Medicare for all? Do they try to do $15 minimum wage standalone? Can they put it in this bill? Do they try to do another uh, stimulus bill? What are they going to do? We're going to see. So yeah. we'll keep our eyes on this story and... You know, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll continue touch base to... in a bit with about them. <laughs> we'll keep doing these. Yeah, because this is necessary mm -hmm. and this was very informative. So moving on to our next section is to say their names. This is where we talk about people who've been negatively impacted by state sanctioned violence. Megan, do you want to go first? Yeah. So uh, I wanted to talk <sighs> about Clyde Care the third, Kerr the third. Um, he, this is a different story than what we normally talk about, but this was a deputy out of, um, Louisiana who died by suicide and he left a, essentially a suicide video where he speaks out on racist policing and division and how it's impacted him. And it's a, it's a tough video to watch, to say the least. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> it just goes to show uh, whatever, everything that's been going on and all that is truly wrong with policing and our systems um this is a this is a, a a man that uh he was only 43 years old he was a father a military veteran um he was super involved in his community uh, he loved 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 helping especially the the kids the younger generation 
um, and really, uh, you know, being a, a positive force and a strong uh positive guidance to the community the kids in his community Mm -hmm. um and he really in many ways you know in the video he 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 mentioned in many ways how much he loved his job and how much he loved being in service of other people um but he also talked about you know the personal turmoil that he had especially just you know not only just in the last year, but especially in the last year, being that he was a black man and a a police officer and having to um, not only see and and view all of this in the news and with everything that's going on, but having to see some of it within, uh, you know, his own police force. So this was, I, I just felt it was an extremely sad story and I felt it uh I felt we needed to really say his name so Clyde Kerr Clyde Kerr, Clyde Kerr the, third. the third yeah um that was one of those stories that that hit me mm-hmm. really hard and I was like I kind of peeked into the details of it mm-hmm. and I was like this, this is some of the stories some of the say their names that we talk about are like man you have to take a minute to um, to get into the details of the story because the headlines are man it's devastating this story was heavy yeah some of them are really heavy and depending on <clears throat> I think we do this section because it's necessary mm-hmm because saying the names of people who have been affected and telling their stories are ways to, it is ways to further a point. We are telling a story. We're telling a general over, over view. You can say that this is agenda driven. Yeah, we have an agenda. We're telling their story because they don't have a voice anymore. They don't have a voice to get justice. So other people need to be their voice. So we, this is one of the most, if not the most important section that we have in the podcast because these people don't have voices anymore mm-hmm. and we need to be their and voice. They, and they, and we need they to do have that. family totally. and they do have friends. And in the corner of the influence sphere that their friends and family have, they continue to tell their stories. I think we were, I know I, for me personally, I was inspired to, for this section to be here because when we were going to a lot of Black Lives Matter, BLM protests, um, rallies, mm-hmm. um, this was a section that they had. Mm-hmm. They would let the families come up every week and some of them would tell the exact same story mm-hmm. every week. And I was thinking to myself, I was just like, that's got to be, Heartbreaking to have to get up on stage and tell the exact same story about your loved one's son, daughter, cousin, brother, brother, you know, uncle, father. Um, And I thought if they can tough it out Mm -hmm. to tell the story, they could do the tell the story about that. The the some of them the darkest moment in their lives. Um, Then I was like. 
maybe we could tell the stories of a lot of these other people who may not have a stage that okay. they can walk on and tell the story, may not have an outlet, but their stories need to be told. Right. And it needs to be a reminder to us that, first off, life is fragile. First off, we have a really messed up criminal justice system mm -hmm. um, that needs to be abolished, needs to be changed, needs to be reformed. Mm -hmm. Wherever you are on that scale, if you're at, oh, it just needs to be reformed, and there's some people, no, they need to be defunded. And some people are like, they need to be completely shredded, all parts ripped out, and <clears throat> the tree needs to be uprooted, mm -hmm. and then it needs to be, <laughs> you know, replanted with, with new seeds, mm -hmm. you know. Wherever you are, this is, this, this is because it's necessary. It's been too many people over too much time, and so these stories need to be told. So yes, we say his name. Clyde Kerr. Clayton the Kerr the third. Clyde. Oh, Clyde, Clyde Kerr the third. I'm sorry. My say their name for this week is Victor White the third. And um, let me see. This story comes out of. It's from 2014. And. The headline says, or the, the lead-in says, a coroner's report directly contradicts the police version of how a 22-year-old black man died in the backseat of a Louisiana police cruiser earlier this year. <clears throat> but still says the man whose hands were cuffed behind his back shot himself. In the press release issued March 3rd, the day he died, Louisiana State Police said Victor White III apparently shot himself in an Iberia Parish police car. According to the police statement, White had his hands cuffed behind his back when he shot himself in the back. <clears throat> but according to nearly six months later, the final report from the coroner, says that White was shot in the front, not the back. The bullet entered his right chest and exited underneath his left armpit. He was left-handed. Close range shot that can sometimes, um, wait, the pathologist found gunshot residue in the wound, but not the sort stippling that um, stipulating that a close range shot is something sometimes can produce. They also found abrasions on his face. And yet, despite contradictions, and even though White's hands were never tested for gunpowder residue, the Iberia Parish coroner still supported the central contention of the po initial police statement and ditched and the rule that, while, that White shot himself and declared the death a suicide. Um, of course, the father doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe that a man with a new baby, a girlfriend, and a job had the motive for suicide. He doesn't think any version of events in which White shot himself, whether in the front or back, is physically possible. Now, this happened back in 2014. Not saying that things were radically different back in 2014, but there wasn't this much... Um, shine or light 
on these certain cases. Um, yeah, this story is incredibly tragic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot to there's a lot of details about the story. Um, the investigators, there was a fight, there was some altercation. Police arrested him, and then. Uh, It says the whites did not know anything about the circumstances of their son's death until after the visit to the morgue. He was handcuffed behind his back, transported to that very parish sheriff's office for processing. He became uncooperative and refused to exit the deputy patrol vehicle. As the deputy requested assistance, white produced a handgun, fired one round, striking himself in the back. This doesn't make any sense. So we're, you know, I think that um, he had a blood alcohol of 0.13, which would make him legally drunk, Mm -hmm. and he tested positive for marijuana. But that doesn't matter. Right. Um, It doesn't really make, it's not adding up. It says the White family says that although they were anxiously awaiting the final results of the Louisiana State Police investigation, they have little faith investigators will contradict the coroner's ruling. I don't think anything is going to be different from what they already said. They retained a lawyer, but I don't know if they filed a lawsuit. It's difficult to see that anything else would bring us back what we need. The only thing we want back is our son. So... This is a very tragic story. The police account doesn't make any sense. How does a person shoot themselves in the back? Hand, uh, I'm sorry, how does a person shoot themselves in the chest if they're handcuffed in, from the back? So, incredibly tragic story. And we Seven. say his name. Victor White the Third. Victor White the Third. And Clyde Kerr the Third. And Clyde Kerr the Third. Beautiful. And so... Moving um, on to our activist highlight, this is where we talk about activists within our space that are doing uh, amazing work. I wanted to talk about, in my activist highlight for this week, I wanted to talk about the Denver Star program. Now, I think this may have came up as a highlight, Um, but... I wanted to talk about it because it's a really good program. So in the first six months, let me see here, first six months of healthcare professionals replacing police officers, no one they encountered was arrested. This story comes out of obviously Denver and uh, it it, it comes to us on February 2nd of this year. So it says a young program that puts troubled, nonviolent people in the hands of healthcare workers instead of police officers has proven success in its first six months. Since June 1st, 2020, a mental health 
clinician and a paramedic have traveled, have traveled around the city in a white van handling low-level incidences like trespassing and mental health episodes that would have otherwise fallen to patrol officers with badges and guns. In its first six months, the Support Team Assistant Response Program, or STAR, has responded to 748 incidents. None required police or led to arrests or jail time. This is awesome. The yeah, civilian team handled close to six incidences a day from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday in high-demand neighborhoods. They, it says that the program does not yet have enough people or vans to respond to every nonviolent incident, but about 3% of calls for their service or over 2,500 incidences they were, were worthy of alternative approach, according to the report. STAR represents a more empathetic approach to policing that keeps people out of an often cyclical criminal justice system by connecting people with services like shelter, food aid, counseling, and medication. The program also deliberately cuts down on encounters between uniform officers and civilians. I freaking love this program. And I think that all of the press that could be given to this program is necessary so that it starts to make its way into other major American cities, specifically the bigger cities like the Los Angeles and New York, Dallas and Miami and Minneapolis and places like that, um, Chicago. Um, they said, uh, uh, real, oh, it shows the, the van, obviously, in the story. We run, and we, we run an unbelievable amount of calls for such a limited pilot program and have had some really good outcomes on those calls. The police and alternative empowers behavioral experts to call the shots, even when police officers are around. Said last year, a woman was experiencing mental health symptoms at a 7-Eleven. The clerk called the police. The woman was technically trespassing, but when the police arrived, they called Ceylon. We got there and told the police they could leave. We didn't need them there. The woman who was unhoused was upset about some issues she was having on her prepaid social security card. They helped her in the van, drove her to a day shelter for some food. They didn't shoot her. Just because she happened to be having an issue didn't result in her death. I think this is a this is an amazing thing. Um, Absolutely. About thirty five percent of calls to star personnel come from police officers, which means police officers are actually calling these people too. Amazing. She says in the, to end the article, it says, "I want the police department to focus on police issues. We have more than enough work with regards to violent crime." property crime and traffic safety and if something like star or any other support system can lighten the load on mental health costs for service substance abuse costs for service and low-level issues that frees up law enforcement to address crime issues and that i love that so star program out of denver please look into <laughs> this story please repost this all over social media because this type of program needs to be started in just about every major American city. And we need to take some money from the police and give it to these people. That's awesome. So who is your highlight of the week? 
Yes. So I wanted to talk about a group, Asian Youth Act. You can find them on Instagram at Asian Youth Act. Check out their website. Um, but they are a nonpartisan organization constructed to be an open-minded space where we choose to seek empathy and understanding. They empower Asian students from all over the world to not only be proactive and informed world citizens, but to inspire change in all generations of the Asian community by providing conversation starting resources. It's also just a great uh, space for a bunch of different resources um, if you are not Asian. So I think they're I think all that they're doing and all all of the things that they're providing insight into is just absolutely amazing. They're a great source, uh, a, a great resource. Um, so I think uh, they they're pretty new. They're a newer organization. Um, but definitely check them out. I think they're going to be growing more and more. I think it's amazing just all that they've put out in the time that they have been around. Um, so yeah, check them out, guys. Check them out. Donate to them if you can. Um, get involved if that if you'd like to get involved. Um, AsianYouthAct.org. Yes. Yeah, from their mission statement, it says we seek to promote political and civic engagement of Asian youth through inform informative and research centered posts and personal narratives. Right. In addition, we hope to spark important conversations regarding these issues within friends, family, and community, and oneself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and their, their Instagram's great. All the information and resources they have on there. It's a really good um, nonprofit. So check them out, Asian Youth Act. Um, so as always, our call to action, to follow our activists. Um, and that means not only like following them on social media, but if you can get involved, get involved. If you can donate to them, donate to them. So just find more ways to really, you know, stick with these activists because they're all, everybody that we highlight is just absolutely, you know, phenomenal. Um, as always, like, share, follow us, you guys. Yes. Keep it going. We're so, so grateful every each and every week that, you know, once once our episodes release, we, we automatically have listens. And it's just every week it kind of blows our mind. We're like, all right, y'all are really listening. We love this. Keep coming back. Yes. So we, we're so grateful for to, to all of you guys that tune in, that listen every week. Thank you so much, friends. Um, continue, continue, continue to like, share, follow us. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube. We've been putting up some videos. We have about three or four up right now. We're continuing to make more. Um, so check us out, subscribe. Um, and we, you know, we just started a, a cash app. So if you'd like to donate to us, because we're continuing to grow. Um, and we grow with your help. Yeah, we so grow with, with your, your donations. Help. Um, this is how we'll be able to, you know, do more YouTube videos, do more content, do more field stuff, create the infrastructure for live video podcasting. Yeah, um, that's the goal. Yeah, our pr recorded live uh, podcasting and then eventually you know, live streaming and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. so we we have a, a cash app for that. It's uh, unlearn relearn pod. 
Um, the link is in our Instagram. Check it out. We'll It'll also have it in the show notes. Yes. Um, you can also reach out if you'd like to do any advertising with us, if you'd like to do any sponsorships with us. Um, reach out if you want to just provide us feedback. If you guys have questions, um, you know, we've said before we'd like to continue to incorporate questions not only in the podcast but also into our YouTube and Instagram content. So whenever you guys send us questions, we will be answering those. So so keep sending them. Um, send, send us, you know, topic ideas. If there's something that you guys really want us to talk about, you know, email us. We're, we, we are totally open and, and love to hear from you guys. So it's unlearnrelearn.podcast at gmail.com. Um, and then, of course, you know, as, as we say every week, take care of yourselves, friends. Take care of yourselves. Take, take care of each other. Be really kind. Have compassion. Um, focus on not only the self-love, but really filling yourself up so, so, so much that you can continue to give from the overflow, mm-hmm. right? That's so. a really important concept, giving from the overflow. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot help you know, if, you, if you're not helping yourself, I heard this uh, thing throughout the week where it says, uh, and you know, this is a tired cliche, but you know, when, when, when there's cabin pressure and the mask drops, the first thing they tell you to do is to put the mask on yourself mm-hmm. before you help other people. Okay. So that is a metaphor for help yourself, make sure you're good, make sure you have a practice of mindfulness, whether that's meditation, whatever it is, whatever your mindfulness practice is, excuse me, for some of us, it's meditation. For others, it could be when we tap out, tip, tap in, clean, run, journal, whatever your your Mm -hmm. process is for therapy, counseling, listening to good music, cleaning your house, maintaining your garden, whatever it is, working out. Just do it. You know, Just do have it. that Just keep doing have it. that daily you time. Yeah. Of, of I mean, I, basically that's the number one thing. Have that daily you time where you shut everything off. You take some time for yourself, and whether that's reading a good book, whatever it is, um, turn off all electronics. We can only help others, and we can only help our community by first helping helping ourselves. It's, exactly, it's so important, most important, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, reach out. You got any questions? We would love to hear them. We will make a video out of them. You'll get your own special video. You send <laughs> us a question and we like it enough, you just might get the attention that you wanted. <laughs> you get your own YouTube video. Um, if that's not enough for you to send us a, a question, I don't know what is. <laughs> we'll put you on YouTube. Um, and as, as always, always, thank you so much for hanging out with us as we unlearn the BS and relearn the good stuff. All right, guys, this was a very special episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We will see you on the next episode. Bye, friends.